Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, Riverwood. Who here would classify themselves as average, ordinary? Anyone? Average, ordinary people? You would fall into that category? Well, in 2005, there was a man who went and uh, went on a journey to find the most ordinary, average American citizen. He actually wrote a book revolving around this idea. It's called The Average American, The Extraordinary Search for the Most Ordinary Citizen. And so he went from East Coast to West Coast. He went to the Hawaiian Islands, all to have conversations like, what makes people average and ordinary? He came up with 140 different characteristics that make people average and ordinary. And maybe, I am guessing, maybe the most average and ordinary person might be amongst us right here. I'm going to read some of those. Um, For instance, uh, you are average and ordinary if you are in bed before midnight. Yes? Yeah? Okay. So far? You prefer smooth peanut butter versus crunchy. You live... Three miles from a McDonald's. That makes you average, ordinary. You are a fan of football. You live in the same state you graduated. All right, we've got some average, ordinary people here. All right, you own a pet. You drink coffee every day. You drive a vehicle that is at least eight years old. Your shoe size is 10.5. Gender, male, weight, 190, height, 5'8". Who is the most average, ordinary? (laughs) You're like, not you. Somebody raised their hand last hour and said they were that average, ordinary person. All right, it's interesting. In the book, he actually finds this person, and of course, his name is Bob. (laughs) Bob Burns. All right. Well, it's okay to be average and ordinary. It's okay. Because, here's the great thing, in God's economy, he uses average, ordinary people to do extraordinary things on the mission that he calls us to. And so that is the good news that we have, that it's okay to be average. It's interesting, as you look into God's word, we see all these stories about Abraham and Moses and Joshua, all these great figures. But realize, surrounding them are just average, ordinary people. Average, ordinary people who are faithful in a few things and walking with the Lord. You get to the New Testament. Who does Jesus look to? It's not like he's looking for all the important people. He looks to fishermen. Fishermen. And he says, come, join me. Come, follow me. We're going to have a journey together. And so that is encouragement for all of us who are average and ordinary sitting here this morning. Pride describes a lot of us. And so because of that, many times we are the ones that maybe the world is looking down on, maybe picking last, overlooking. We're the underdogs, but you're right at home. There's something here in God's text, his word. He wants you as the average, ordinary person. He wants you to hear something this morning. 
And so we've been walking through this series through the book of Jeremiah. I am sad to say next week is the end of the train for Jeremiah. You have to join us for our grand finale. I think there's going to be fireworks and pyrotechnics and all that. No, probably not. Um, But we've been walking through this series called The Mission of God. What is God's mission? Well, he's, he's gaining people to follow him in very average and ordinary ways of obedience. Return to me. Give me your heart. Let's enter into a relationship together. And so last week we said that we were trying to answer the question, how do we find God's will for our lives? And we said, well, it's found in his word, uh, the spirit that dwells within. Uh, That is how we find what God wants for us on this mission he calls us to. And so this week is part two to last week, and we're continuing to answer the question, how to find the will of God, but now we're adding part two. How do you find the will of God in a world filled with pain? Now it's becoming very real. All of us experience pain at some level in this world. How do you find God's will? How do you know what he wants from you in this mission in in a world that has lots of trouble and tears and brokenness? And so that's what we're going to see today. And we're going to be looking into God's uh, word for this. And my prayer is that in the next 26 minutes, you will hear something that will speak to you. This is God's word speaking to all of us in this moment. That's why we gather together. This is a very special moment when God's people gather together around his word. And so be listening to hear what he is saying to you and to your life. All right. So the average ordinary person we're going to look at in God's word today, his name is Baruch. Now that might ring a bell like Baruch. That sounds familiar. He was the one who was the... uh, He was writing down all of the words. He was the scribe for Jeremiah. He followed him around. What are you saying? Yeah, I'll write that down. I'll write that down. And so Baruch had family connections into into more important things and more important people, but he has attached himself to Jeremiah. And so Baruch, if you remember, he was the one when Jeremiah bought that field and he needed someone to fill out all the paperwork. Baruch was his man. Uh, go ahead and make sure it's all the T's are, are crossed and the I's are dotted. Go ahead and, and fill all that out. He was the one who simply went and he read the, the scroll in front of a bunch of people. And they're like, man, that sounds really powerful. Uh, he was the one who's been following Jeremiah around. Even last week, it's beginning a little bit difficult because if you remember from last week, the people are like, we are going to Egypt This is God's will for our lives. We're already moving that way. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 turn around, go back. And it's interesting, the people got upset. Who'd they blame? They blamed Baruch. Oh, Jeremiah, I bet Baruch put you up to this. And so he is taking heat. It's more difficult, um, but he's just an average, ordinary person. All right, so what did God have to say to this average, ordinary person? That's why we've gathered. We're now going to open up our Bibles to the 45th chapter of Jeremiah. This is the shortest chapter in this book. In a book that has, like, verses that go on into the 20s and 30s and 40s and some chapters, there's only five verses in this book, in in this chapter. Five verses. What does he have to say to 
Baruch. Chapter 45, verse 1, it'll be on the screen, um, in your Bible as well. Here's what God's word says. The word that Jeremiah, the prophet, spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. All right, so let's stop there. And I want you to realize we are reading something very unique. Now, why is this so unique? Well, up until this point, Jeremiah has been saying, thus says the Lord, and Baruch is there, like, writing it down. Yeah, more, more. Yep, got it, got it. Who's this going to, by the way? Oh, it's going to Judah. It's going to the people. It's going to that king, uh, Zedekiah, Jehoiakim. Uh, He's writing all, he's like, got all of it, got it, got it, got it. But now this is much different. It's like, uh, Baruch, you need to pick up the scroll. We need to start writing again. Okay, got it. Who are we writing to this time? You. What? Yeah, Yahweh has something to say to you. Wow. Me, little Baruch, average, ordinary. He has something to say to me that is now going to be recorded. <laughs> into this thing called the scriptures? Me? Very, very interesting. Very unique. And and from verse 1, we can tell this is history we're reading. If you notice the timeline we've been looking at all along, the southern kingdom of Judah, this is during the reign of Jehoiakim. He was the one, if you remember from chapter 36, he was the king who was reading the scroll, and then he would tear it and chuck it into the fire. Oh, let's read some more. And burn, burn, burning the word of God. All right, so let's go back to verse 2. What does God want to say to Baruch? He's writing this down, anxious to hear, like, what does Yahweh want to say to me? This is what he says. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, this is Baruch now, you said, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. All right, as we know, finding and navigating in the world of God's will for our lives is very important, and we want to walk by the Spirit, but The harsh reality, remember from our original question, is how do you do that in a broken and fallen world? Baruch knew this. He experienced it. I mean, think about this. He's writing these words that the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah to a people who are going the opposite direction. Turn from your ways, and they don't listen. That was painful. He's also watching Jeremiah being treated poorly. I mean, Jeremiah was thrown in dungeons and cisterns and jails, and he's treated horribly. He's watching that unfold. He's also watching the the depravity of, of mankind. He himself, his own life was threatened by these people. Add to that the whole thing of war, famine, living in the ancient world. Uh, There was a lot to complain about. There was a lot going on that was very, very difficult. And in Baruch's own words, he says there is pain, 
there is sorrow, and there is much groaning in this world. How do you ever find God's will in the midst of that? So why is life so hard? Why is it so difficult? All of us understand that question because all of us live in this world that is hard. The just short answer, if you want just like the textbook answer, goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Because of what happened in Genesis 3, now there's a trajectory that all of us fall under, and there's brokenness, difficulty in this life, relationally, physically, work-related. All of these things are very, very, very difficult. Pain is real. Pain is very hard. And this is what he realizes. Baruch sees it. We see it as well. Uh, Even within our own church family this week, there was somebody who was in the hospital with a diagnosis that they couldn't figure out. It just kept going. Uh, There's no good answers of why something is happening to someone. There was another person who tragically had a relative die in a car accident. There's people struggling with joblessness. There's people who are wrestling in brokenness of relationship with family members. Over and over again, the, the stories are amongst us of how difficult it is. Pain is real. Pain is hard. God recognizes that, and he understands that. And not only is it here, but then go outside of our own walls, and you see more of it. I was reading a story just yesterday about a girl who uh, went with her father to an NBA game. She goes to the bathroom. Next thing you know, she ended up missing. Where'd she go? Well, she is now being uh, a part of sex trafficking. Eventually, she is found. But I'm like, the brokenness of this world, the depravity. I mean, what happened in Buffalo a couple weeks ago? The systematic shooting of people because they're of a different color. Broken, broken, broken is this world. And Baruch sees it. He recognizes it. But here's one thing we also know about God's word, especially in Jeremiah. There is a, 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 a theme that he wants us to see as we've been reading. And it's really about uh, the picture of what's going on at this level of the heart. In the midst of all the brokenness, what's happening at the level of the human heart? We have seen that, that the heart is desperately wicked in this fallen world, but God is, he is wanting your heart to be transformed and changed. And so he notices something in verse 3 about the heart of Baruch. There's something that is off. All of this pain, all of this sorrow, but there is something that is off that really finds the answer in the very last word of the chapter of this verse. He is someone who has not been able to find rest. All right, so there's a lot of pain, but he can't find rest. What does this rest mean? This idea of rest is a word that means refuge, but there's a better connection. This exact word is found in Psalm 23, one of the most famous chapters in the Old Testament. Psalm 23, 
And notice the connection of the same word of rest. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Still waters. Now let's all go to our favorite vacation spot. Ah, tranquility. Still waters by the ocean. Still waters at the lake. Still waters at the river. Wherever it is, those still waters. And so now there's a real kind of conundrum in verse 3. There is the brokenness and the pain and the woe of life, but there's also the possibility of finding rest? Still waters? How do those things even go together? It seems like they're opposed from one another. When life is hard, then everything is difficult. But God notices something about Baruch that he wants to find in his people. That even though there is brokenness of this world, he wants his people to find still waters in the midst of brokenness. And this is really a, a collision of this holy paradox. How can you do that? But not only do we see it here in Jeremiah, but we also see this in even what Maggie read for us in Corinthians. I'll, I'll point to it again. The Apostle Paul, now in the New Testament, said something like this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that we are, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted. There's the brokenness in every way, but we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We're, we're persecuted, it's difficult, it's hard, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down even, but, but, but we are not destroyed. There is a, a paradox that happens in the heart of those who walk with Yahweh, where you're able to bring these two things together. This past week, our church had a significant loss, especially to this third service. I don't know if you knew Pete Reed, but Pete Reed passed away. Pete Reed was somebody who um, would always come and be in this section in his wheelchair thanks to many people who would bring him to this church. He was here virtually from the very beginning of Riverwood. In so many ways, uh, he was uh, the heartbeat of a lot of joy as he would come through the doors in his electric wheelchair, and I'd always say, good morning, Pete, and he was always happy to be here. He'd stick out his hand. Someone who carried on with life. He was the one who lived at Briarwood, uh, the story is he actually cut the ribbon opening day for Briarwood. He lived right there. Pastor Paul Sarelli, the first person he visited in the hospital was Pete. He visited him because it was a horrible car accident that left him to be paralyzed in that wheelchair for the rest of his life. Let me tell you something about Pete. He had every reason to be bitter. Every reason. But this man never complained. If you, those who knew Pete Reed, he never complained. He, he lived the paradox. The horrible tragedy of life, 
and the joy, the still waters that you can hold at the same time. What? Pete Reed lived it. He'll be deeply missed. Afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. In the average and ordinary life of of Pete Reed, he got it. In the average and ordinary life of Baruch, there is something that he didn't get. My question, as we pause right here for a moment, is, do you get it? Do you, do, you, do you understand what's going on here? The woes of this life and still waters, is that something that you have brought together? And you're thinking, come on, Cole. You can't do that. Yes, it's possible. First hour, I, I felt it uh, very powerfully because I know there was a, a couple that sat back in that section. Um, they've lost, uh, tragically, they lost a son. And I know they're looking at me asking that question. Really, Cole? You serious? There, there can be still waters. How is that even possible? Let's keep reading. Verse 4, God has more. Thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I am breaking down, and what I have planted I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. The Lord is speaking to Baruch, and not just to his life. He's, he's speaking very directly to his heart. He's speaking to his heart, and he's saying these things that are challenging Baruch, I can just picture it now. Baruch is writing these things, and he's thinking to himself, hey, wait a minute. I've written something like this before. This sounds really familiar, this whole building and planting, plucking up, destroying thing. And so why did it sound so familiar? Going all the way back to chapter 1 of Jeremiah, he had written this before. What was the setting? Well, the setting was Yahweh was speaking this directly, these words, to Jeremiah. Notice what he said. It's very similar. Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. All right. So why is that interesting? It's interesting because right before Yahweh said those words to Jeremiah, Jeremiah said something like this to Yahweh. I am way too young for this. I'm way too inexperienced. There is no way you want me. It's not going to work out. You need to choose somebody else for this, this thing that you're wanting. No way, count 
me out. And in that moment, if you remember, Yahweh breaks through and says, no, you're exactly who I want. Average, ordinary Jeremiah, come. And this is what he does. He invited Jeremiah into the mission. Something bigger than just himself. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not equipped. I can't do it. And God says, no, 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 no. Change your perspective, your horizon. It's, it's about the nations and about kingdoms, and it's about lifting your head to see a different horizon, maybe things on the horizon of eternity. Come, join me. And he says, join me in this mission, and as you join me, I'm going to ask you something really, really difficult. Give me your heart. Trust me. We're going to take a journey together. Yeah, I know your, your heart is broken and you're walking through difficult things. I understand pain. Come with me. And he said that to Jeremiah. 44 chapters later, he's now saying the same exact thing to Baruch. And Baruch is saying things like, this is so difficult. It's hard. I can't do this. There's pain and struggle. It's almost as if there's this vortex of me and I and I and I. And the end of that, there is no end. And so to catch Baruch's attention, he says, Baruch, come. Come on a journey with me. We have a mission, and it's about... Uh, not what you're seeking for yourself, but it's about planting and plucking and breaking down the whole land. He's trying to raise his perspective to say, there is a mission. Come join me. And when you come join me, give me your heart. And we will journey together. It's, it's a beautiful invitation. This is how we can walk in a world filled with pain. This is how we can hold uh, the paradox together, is when we take God up on his invitation to walk with him. An invitation that equals a relationship that's about our hearts. And so he was inviting Jeremiah into that. He was inviting Baruch into that. But here's the really interesting thing about chapter 45. It ends, and we don't know the answer. It ends! Five verses! Well, what did Baruch decide? We don't know. Is he faithfully going to then give his heart to Yahweh and bring the paradox together and, and walk with him in that mission? We don't know. But really, this text isn't about Jeremiah, and it's not really about Baruch. This text is about you. It's about you. Have you found still waters in your broken life. And I'm not here to minimize pain, believe me. 
I've been here long enough to know the pain on people's faces. I've been here 22 years. I know exactly the things you've wrestled with in losing a parent. I know exactly the things you've lost in your children, the hopes and dreams. And believe me, there's a lot of history here, a couple decades worth. I, I feel the pain. The question is, have you found the still waters, the, the rest for your weary soul? If you haven't, it should be a, a, a red flag to say it, it's hard and it's difficult, but God invites us into a mission, a, a relationship with him. And he's the one who understands pain more than anybody else. His son, actually, uh, was crushed and afflicted and despised. He knows all about pain. And he invites us into a relationship to say, come, let's, let's go on a, a journey together about a, a, a mission that's bigger than just me, 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 and my issues and my problems to which it, there is no bottom to because I keep going and spiraling. And he's trying to lift our heads to say, come join me on this journey together. I'll walk with you. And this is what he says. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. Don't just play the game of religion, checking in once in a while. Baruch was an expert at that. The scribe of Jeremiah, oh, yeah, I'll write down those words. But there was something missing. Is there something missing in your life? That's what this text is leading us to, that there is a, a different conclusion. The Apostle Paul even spoke to this right after uh, he talks about being kind of the things of this world and perplexed and beat down. Listen to these words. Allow them to sink in. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That's our story. We're, we're wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's the, there's the paradox. For this light and momentary affliction. I like how Paul says that. He's like, yeah, how about my troubles? Light and momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Where is your gaze? Is your gaze on the things of eternity and the promises found in a relationship with God? Or are you still caught in the vortex and the problems that are never-ending of this world? What is your story? Jeremiah had his answer. Baruch had his answer. Pete Reed had his answer, too. I can just imagine Pete Reed, wheelchair free with his Savior. He heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You walked in pain, 
groaning, yet you found still waters. Have you found the still waters? Maybe this is the day he's inviting you to say, come join me and my son Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. You will find rest for your weary souls. And for the rest of us who have that relationship, the real question is, are we living this paradox? When I say, are we living the paradox, the world out there is expecting problems to always be a spiraling down. Are we the people who are saying, yes, I see that this world is hard, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of difficulty, but you can find still waters. We're the people who are finding still waters in the midst of pain as, a, as an example to the rest of the world who looks at that and says, are you crazy? That's God's mission. We're, we're on mission now when we live out the paradox in front of others as opposed to always being the people who are in the downward spiral. Woe is me. There's no hope. Uh, everything is horrible. And I'm not saying just put a smile on and get over it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about understanding that there is rest at a deep place. There are still waters in your soul that brings you a, a, a joy that isn't about, hey, happy, but there is a joy deep within. What did five little verses speak to you today? Where are you being challenged? Is it just something you've not even listening to? Or is it something that has really caught your attention? What is God saying to you in five little verses from his word today? May we all be challenged uh, to live life in, in different ways. I'm going to pray for us to that end and then uh, even continue in our worship this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you. Um, we want to be a, a community that finds these still waters, that rests in still waters, even in the midst of a world that is filled with pain and suffering and difficulty. There is a, a mission you invite us in to be a part of. I pray that for those who are hearing this this morning and maybe they're, they haven't given their heart to you. May this be that day where they hand it all over to you, say, I, hey, I'm broken and, and sinful. I, I need an answer. May this be that day they enter the rest that their weary soul is needing. And for the rest of us who are living life in a dark, dark place, give us the strength and endurance to live the paradox you have called us to. To be people who are different, pointing people to the one who can help their weary soul. Thank you for your challenge to us. Uh, may we be different because of that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.